If you have your Bibles with you uh, this morning, turn with me to the 19th chapter of the book of Luke. Oh, we, we can't do that. I, I can't get started yet. Can, can, I get, can I get our, our ushers to come forward, please? I was supposed to do that during the video. You can turn to the 19th chapter of the book of Luke anyway, but I do need to get our ushers forward. I know. Would you join me in a, in a word of prayer? Father, we, uh, uh, I thank you, Lord, that you are perfect uh, and that, and that uh, you are always reliable. And Father, everything that we have in this world is a gift to us from you. And Father, we want to come before you this morning and acknowledge uh, that we are grateful for all that you give us. And we want you to know, Lord, that, that we acknowledge that, that what we have is from you. And we ask this morning that you would help us to be grateful and generous with your gifts. And Lord, we thank you this morning that you give us the opportunity uh, to share in the work that you're doing here in this world. And we ask, Father, as, as we give back to you some of what you have given to us, that you would bless us uh, and that you would use this, this resource that we provide back to, to this church, Lord, to further your kingdom and to help others know about Jesus, who is the King of all eternity. And so, Father, we commit this offering to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as they pass through the offering, let me go ahead and, uh, and share a couple of thoughts with you. Today's Palm Sunday. It's, it's the day when Christians all around the world remember Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem to begin the final week of his life. It's a week, it's a week that was really tough on the Lord. It was a, it was a week marked uh, by suffering, by lies, by betrayal, and finally, by death. But it's also a week uh, where Jesus was able, before God, to come in and offer his life as a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice, and place himself in our place so that, so that God's holiness could be satisfied and so that our sins could be forgiven once and for all. And it is a week that ends as gloriously as it began, as Jesus on Sunday morning has victory over the grave, has victory over death, and he rises from the grave victorious. And, and next week, next week our pastor will be back and he will share with you and he will help us as we praise the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have to look forward to next week. And he's going to begin a new, a new sermon series that's going to talk about uh, starting with a new beginning. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, we need to be here, and we need to be here not alone. As Philip was saying to us a moment ago, next week is an opportunity for us to be used by the Lord to go out and tell others that Jesus is going to be talked about, and there's something important uh, that our pastor has to tell them. Please, this is a week to invite friends, to invite neighbors, to invite family. Next week, let's fill this place up. But this week, this week I want to talk to you about how the week begins. I want to talk about uh, what happens on that Sunday 
when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and allows everyone to recognize him as the king. So, again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19, and I want to read for you verses 28 through 44. Luke 19, beginning in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt, and its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Father, we... Uh, We thank you this morning for the record that is left for us in your holy word and for the story that it tells us about the life of Jesus. And Father, we ask this morning as, as we take a few moments and we remember our Lord uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, would open our eyes and our hearts and Lord, he would take your word and supernaturally use it uh, to change who we are, to convict us of things that need to change, to inspire us uh, to, to live lives that honor you and, and help others know who you are, and that you will change each of us from the inside out so that we might be a little bit more like Jesus today so that we might be able to serve him better in your kingdom. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Palm Sunday is the day when Jesus is revealed as the promised king of Israel. It's the day when he will openly and triumphantly enter Jerusalem as the Messiah. It's a day that, that his whole life has pointed to. And it's a day that began many years earlier with the announcement from an angel. You remember when, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary uh, and told her that she was going to be a mother 
and that, and that her baby uh, was going to be Jesus. And she told her, she told, the angel told Mary, he, he said to her, your son will be the son of the Most High. He will be great, and he will be the son of the Most High. And, and he, he will be the, the, he will, it will be the king of Israel. He will sit on the throne of his father, David, and his kingdom will last forever, the angel said. The angel announced to Mary that this baby that was to be born was the promised king of the Old Testament, the one they had been waiting for, the promised Messiah. And so Jesus grows up, and, and everything that he did pointed towards the fact that he was indeed the promised king of Israel. And especially during, especially during his public ministry, uh, his words and his deeds pointed towards the fact that he was the Messiah. And, and you remember, it's, you remember the stories that, that are in the Gospels. It talks about how, how Jesus, during those three and a half years, went, went throughout all of, all of Galilee and all of Judea. And it says in, it says in the book of, of Matthew, it says that he entered every village and every town uh, that was in that region. And it says that when he went into those villages... It says that, that he cured every sickness that he found and every illness that was in those towns. He practically, in his three and a half years, he practically eradicated disease and sickness from the land of Palestine. And as he did so, he caught the attention of the people and they realized that something was different about Jesus. And it wasn't just it wasn't just his authority over sickness and disease and his authority over demons. He had authority over nature. Remember, you remember the trip that his disciples made across the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up and it was threatening to to wash the ship uh, over and, 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 and all the disciples were frightened uh, that, that they would perish in this terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat and they wake him up and they say, they say, Lord, Lord, Master, we're about to perish. Do something. And Jesus, Jesus wakes up from that, from that, uh, that rest he was having in the boat and he, and he stands up. And he looks out into the storm that is raging. And, and it is so bad that, that the disciples think they're going to die. And he looks in that storm and, and he says, oh, you of little faith. And he looks in the storm and he, and, and he says, storm, stop it. I may not, I may, I took a little license there. It may not have been exactly what he said. But you get the idea. It says, it says that he rebuked the storm. He, and he says, storm, stop it. You know what happened? Immediately. That's what happened. It stopped. And his disciples said, who is this? That even has commands over the storm. And there was there was there were other things that you remember you remember uh, when when he was he was teaching on the hillside and there were thousands of people around and 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 the day got late and it was time to feed him uh, and and they were and he told his disciples you, you, we got to feed this crowd and they said well, Lord we don't have any resources to take care of this need uh, and. And, and, he's, and, and then uh, one, of the, one of the disciples, Thomas, comes up and he says, well, Lord, we've got, we've got uh, this, this young boy that's got uh, five loaves and three fishes. And he says, he says, but I don't know what we would do with that. 
This guy, this one little boy's lunch. You remember what happened? Jesus, Jesus literally, literally creates food out of the air. And, and he feeds 5,000 people out of this little boy's lunch. And there are 12 baskets of food left over. And as he did those things, and, and you know what it says? You know what it says in the book of John? John said, he said, you don't, you don't understand. He says, that's just a sampling of the things that he did. He said, if we really were to try and record all of the wonderful miracles that Jesus performed during his life, he said, there wouldn't be enough room in the whole world to contain the books that would have to be written. That might be a little bit of hyperbole, but I want you to know that John's point was is that, is that we don't even have, we don't even have a, a, a beginning uh, of, of all that Jesus did. Uh, we just have a sampling. And all of that, all of those wonderful miracles that Jesus performed pointed to the fact that he was king. He was the king of glory. He was the king of Israel. How many of you believe that this morning? You believe Jesus is king? How about today? Do you believe that Jesus is king today? I want to tell you a story. Something that, that happened. I, as a church, we had the opportunity uh, to go yesterday to, uh, to Rickenbacker uh, and minister to a group of soldiers, of reserve soldiers. Excuse me. And, and it had been prepared. Uh, we knew we had been planning for this. And we had had preparatory meetings. Uh, and we had gone and said, well, how much do we need to, uh, uh, to bring in order to feed these soldiers lunch? And, and initially they had said, well, probably 150 people will be there. But then they'd come back and said, no, no, one of the units can't make it. There's only going to be 50 people here. So we gathered our resources, uh, and we had 23 people come out. Uh, and and they, we spent about $300 as a church to prepare a meal as, a, as an expression of love from, from, from our church and our Lord uh, to, to the soldiers that are, that are protecting us and our country. And we took this meal to them, expecting to feed 50 people. You know what happened? That's right. When we got there, they said, oh, the other unit showed up also. We got 150 soldiers here. And we had enough for 50 meals. What are we going to do? So I sort of slipped off by myself for a moment. And I got over by, by the food and I began to pray. My wife came up to me and said, Ray, Ray, you all right? What's wrong? Because I was just standing there, you know, not moving. And I, I, I did have a stroke once. And so she was worried about me. And, and, and so she comes, she comes up and she's checking on me to see what's going on. And, and, I, and I was praying. I said, oh, Lord. I said, you know, you're the one who gave us this opportunity. And we came here to honor you. Uh, and we don't want to go away with these people thinking that, that God's people aren't prepared uh, and, 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 and that they don't serve uh, in a way that honors you. And so, Lord, we can't have this problem. You've got to do something. We need, we need the Lord of glory to perform a miracle once again. We need this food to feed 150. You know what happened? You know what happened? I, I was at the front of the line, and I was serving the potatoes. And Denny, Denny was standing beside me, and he was serving the chicken. And Ron, I don't know if Ron is in Ron, Rhonda Wilder was standing beside Denny, and she was serving, she was serving uh, uh, the Marzetti, uh, the noodles. 
And they came through. We started serving. I'm praying all the time. Lord, you got to make this last. You got to make this last. I'm here to testify to you this morning. You know when I served my last scoop of potatoes? The very last scoop, you know when I did that? When the last soldier came through, I put the last scoop of potatoes on that plate. So, Jesus went through life showing people who he was by all the things that he did, by the wonderful miracles that he performed. And it wasn't lost on the people. And that same king of kings is alive and well today, and he still does wonderful miracles in the church. It wasn't just what he did. It wasn't just what he did that helped people understand who he was. It was also what he said. There was never a teacher like Jesus. And, and when he would stand and talk to people about God and about God's kingdom, people were amazed. Amazed by, by what, not only what he said, but with the authority from God that he spoke. And so, the first thing I want you to, to understand this morning is that throughout his earthly ministry, in all that he said indeed, in words and deeds, Jesus progressively let people understand who he was. That he was the king of kings, the promised Messiah. But his greatest miracle, the one I think is the capstone miracle of Jesus' life, was performed just a few weeks before his death. When I, was, when I first got to this church, uh, I was in a Sunday school class. Uh, it was a men's Sunday school class. Uh, and uh, my Sunday school teacher was Lou Wetzel. Uh, and, uh, and, and there were, you know, Lou was in there, and Dave Randall, and Vince Sams, uh, and Jason Cordell, uh, and, uh, and I was in there, and... Uh, Joe Russell was, was often in there. So there was a group of men that every Sunday would meet, uh, and Lou would lead us through, through our lesson. And every year when we came to Easter, you know what Lou would say? He would tell me that, that there is this miracle, that there is this miracle that Jesus did that caused all of the events that happened at Easter. You know what that was? It was the raising of Lazarus. Do you remember that story? Do you remember the story about the raising of Lazarus that occurs just a few weeks before Jesus makes his final entrance into Jerusalem? Jesus and his disciples are out ministering as they always were. And Lazarus, who is Jesus' friend, gets really sick. He gets mortally sick. He's about to die. And Mary and Martha, because of their faith and belief in Jesus, send someone immediately, go find Jesus and tell him what's going on. When Jesus finally gets word that Lazarus is sick, Jesus knows it's too late, Lazarus is already dead. He tells his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up, he said. Now, the disciples didn't understand. They said, well, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. And so Jesus told them plainly. He said, no, that's not what I mean. Our friend Lazarus has died. And so, and so Jesus and, 
and his disciples make the journey, and they arrive, uh, and, and they're met by Martha. And, and when Martha hears they're coming, she goes out on the road and she meets them. And, and, and there's great sadness in Martha's heart. And she's, she, tells, she tells Jesus, Lord, you're too late. He died four days ago. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, he'll rise again. And Martha says, yeah, I know, Lord. She's not really... She's not really comforted very much. She says, yeah, I know, Lord. I know in the last day that he'll raise from the grave. And Jesus looks at her. He says, Martha. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives he who believes and dies uh, will live I'm messing that up it's, 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 it's uh, he who believes in me will live even if he dies and whoever and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's what he said. And he looked at Martha. And he said, do you believe this, Martha? I wonder, I wonder if he would ask us that this morning, what we would say. What Jesus said was, I am the holder of eternal life. And the way to access that eternal life is by believing and trusting in me. And I think he would ask the world this morning. He would provide an invitation to the world this morning. Do you believe that? And are you willing to put your trust in that fact? And that's what he asked Martha that morning. And you know what she said? I think I'm going to take a little license here again. I think maybe she might have smiled at him through tears. She may have smiled. And she looked, him, she looked straight at him. And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that. And Jesus said, okay then, go get Mary and meet me back here. I want to visit the gravesite. And so Martha goes and gets her sister Mary, and Mary and Martha and Jesus and a crowd of mourners all make their way to the gravesite. And as they approach the gravesite, and Jesus sees the tomb where Lazarus has been for four days. Remember, there's no embalming. The body has probably already started to decay. Jesus says to the crowd, remove the stone. Now, there was a lot of objections made that morning. They, they, they really weren't very happy with the fact that Jesus was, was taking this stone away because there was the assumption uh, that the body was beginning to decay and that there was a smell involved with that. But Jesus says, take the stone away. And so they, they eventually obey and they take the stone away. And then you know the story. Jesus looks at that tomb and with divine authority, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who's all wrapped up 
in, in cloth and, and he's been, his body's been prepared by the Jews. He looks sort of like a mummy and he comes, he comes waddling out of the, the tomb like this, making his way. And I can just imagine, I can just imagine that what was going on in the minds of those people as Lazarus waddled his way out of the tomb that day and, and there was this man that they knew, they knew personally and he had died four days ago and they had buried him and he had been in that tomb for four days and now they're watching him waddle out of this tomb alive and Jesus said, cut off his grave clothes or he's alive. So, so Jesus revealed who he was by what he did and what he said. And he confirmed it with this resurrection of Lazarus. Now, a few weeks pass. And it's time for the Passover. And so Jesus who has returned to Galilee, gathers his disciples and says, it's time to make our trip to Jerusalem. And so they get on the road. They get on the road going towards Jerusalem. And, uh, and it's a busy time. Uh, the Passover was one of those three annual feasts where all were required to go to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so at, it's not only Jesus and his disciples that get on this road to go to Jerusalem. The road is crowded with people from Galilee that are making this same trip and from other regions that are making this same trip that Jesus is making. And, and, he, and he travels down below the, the Sea of Galilee and he goes a little bit east, he crosses the Jordan River and he travels south down the Jordan River and then crosses back over in the vicinity of Jericho. As he's traveling, as he's traveling down down this road. I can imagine that, that there are crowds of people that were there in those towns and villages when, when Jesus showed his power, his divine authority over sickness and disease and over demons. There were people that were there that were fed in the, in, in the 5,000 and in the 4,000. There were people there that had witnessed the things and the power of Jesus and, and they uh, were, were, were swarming around Jesus and they were talking to him. And I believe that as, as Jesus made that walk, that 80-mile walk from, from Galilee to Jerusalem, that he was talking to the people and telling them about the kingdom of God. And he's saying to them, the kingdom of God is at hand and you need to get ready. I think that's what he was telling them as they were making their way. And maybe there were more miracles that he was performing as they moved that day. And they come to finally to Jericho, and he spends the night in Jericho, and he shares uh, God's love with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus becomes a follower of Jesus. And, and the next morning he gets up, and he, and he gets on the main road up towards Jerusalem. It's another 17 miles that they have to walk, and it's mostly uphill. And, 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 and so he's making that final journey on, on a Saturday to, uh, towards Jerusalem. And he comes to the town of Bethel. Bethany. And it's the town where, where Lazarus lives. And he's with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus, as he's passing through the town, decides it's time to stop. Uh, and, and say hi to Lazarus. And so he goes to Lazarus' house, and, and by this time, the word of Lazarus' miracle has spread word of mouth throughout the community. And everybody knows what has happened to Lazarus. It's in his hometown. And so you can imagine that when Jesus shows up and he goes to the house of Lazarus, that it attracts a lot of attention. And what happens that afternoon as Lazarus and his sisters put on a, a dinner for, for Jesus and his disciples is that the crowds, it begins to want, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He's at Lazarus' house. We need to go see him. And so the crowds begin to gather around Lazarus' house. The next morning, it's Sunday morning. And Jesus gets up. He says, okay. It's time to go into Jerusalem. 
He takes two of his disciples and he says, I want you to go to the nearby village of Bethphage. He says, and you're going to find a young donkey tied there, a donkey's colt. And I want you to, to untie that donkey and I want you to bring it back to me. And if, and if anyone says anything to you about you untying the donkey, just tell them the Lord needs it. And of course, that's, I read to you a while ago, that's exactly what happened. That, that they go to the village, they untie the donkey, uh, they return to where Jesus is, to where Jesus is, and, uh, and when they get there, they put their cloaks on the donkey, and Jesus gets on the donkey, and he begins the final two-mile journey to Jerusalem. Now, why did he do that? Jesus was in pretty good shape. He just walked 80 miles. He walked everywhere he went. He didn't need to ride on a donkey. Why did Jesus get on the donkey at Bethany to make the final two-mile journey into Jerusalem? Well, two of the four Gospels let us know that there was a prophecy that had been made 500 years earlier. It was made by the prophet Zechariah. If, if, you have, if, you can, if, you can, if you can keep your finger where it's at or mark your, your, your Bibles where it's at, if you want, you can turn back to the, the prophet uh, Zechariah. It's, if, you go to, if you go to where the Old Testament meets the New Testament, there at the first page of Matthew, and you go back two books through Malachi and to Zechariah. That's where Zechariah's at. And I want you to look at, at Zechariah chapter 9. Now, before I read that verse to you, let me tell you what's going on in the life of Zechariah. You guys remember the... And I, I can't talk a lot about... What, about Uh-oh. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on uh, in, 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 in this book. You guys remember, this happens about 500 years before Jesus is born. It's at the end of the Babylonian captivity. You guys remember about the Babylonian captivity? For hundreds of years, from the time that they had that Moses had led them out of Egypt until, uh, until this, this prophecy is made. For hundreds of years, God has been talking to Israel and telling them that he has selected them to be his special people. And he is telling them that, that, that he will be their God. But the only thing he expects from them is that, that they love him and that they don't put any other gods in front of him uh, and that they obey the things that he's asked them to do. For five hundred years, or for, for hundred, many hundreds of years, uh, it's, 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 been, uh, uh, it's been told to the Israelites over and over and over again uh, because the Israelites were not a very faithful people and, and, and they had a tendency to, to gather uh, foreign gods, pagan gods into their homes and to worship those pagan gods. And for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, God's told them, you got to stop it. I won't tolerate it. I won't put up with this idolatry and this disobedience. You've got to change. And over and over again, God was ignored by his people. And eventually what happens is that God allows the nation of Babylon to come in uh, and, and, to, uh, and to bring discipline to God's people. And it's a very severe discipline. You remember what happened? It happened in stages. The first thing that happens... And I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this or not. The first thing that happens is that the Shekinah glory of God departs Israel. You know what the Shekinah glory is? When Moses, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, God himself appeared before Moses in a, in, a, in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he says, I, that's God's physical manifestation. He says, I will lead you. And, and from that moment forward, 
God was with his people. And, and when they built the tabernacle, God indwelled the tabernacle. And when they built the temple, God indwelt the temple. He was in the Holy of Holies. But when God decides that it is time for his people to be disciplined, what happens, the very first thing that happens is that the Shekinah glory of God leaves the Holy of Holies. And then it leaves the temple of God. And then it departs the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And it goes to the Mount of Olives, and the, the Shekinah glory of God is gone from the earth. And, then it, and, and, and Israel doesn't even know. They believe that God is still with them, and God is still protecting them, and he's gone. And God allows the, Babylon, the Babylonians to show up with their armies, and they destroy the holy city of Jerusalem. They tear it down block by block. And they destroy the temple of, of Yahweh, the temple of God. Uh, and, and, and you couldn't even walk into the temple of God without being struck dead if, if you didn't belong there. You couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies. And Babylon's pagan soldiers go in and they raid the temple and they take all of, all of the holy instruments out and they take them back to Babylon in the treasury. Why weren't they struck dead? Because God wasn't there any longer. And they, they gather together the priests of God and they slaughter them. And, and they take the people of Jerusalem and they take them off into captivity. They, they, they enslave them and they take them off to captivity. And they're there for 70 years. And at the end of those 70 years, God says, okay, I will relent. And he allows the Persian king Cyrus to, to issue a decree that allows the Israelites to return to Jerusalem under the leadership of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. And they come back, and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and they rebuild the temple. But it's not the same. And there is a great sadness. There is a great sadness in the people because, because not only is the glory, the former glory that was there, it's not only is that glory gone, but the promised land, the land that, that God had promised to Israel that he said would be theirs forever and ever, that promised land is now occupied by a pagan nation and a foreign army, and it would remain so for the next 500 years, first by the Babylonians, then by the Persians, and then by the Greeks, and now by the Romans. And this is what Zechariah wrote in the midst of that, in Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9, 9, he says, this is, this is to a depressed people that were, that were brokenhearted over what had happened. God, speaking through Zechariah, says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. That was written 500 years before Jesus entered Jerusalem. And so on that day, on that day, as Jesus is getting ready to leave Bethany and travel to Jerusalem and to make his final entrance, what is the message? He says, go find me a colt of a donkey. Because I'm going to ride that donkey into Jerusalem. And that wasn't lost on the people. All of their lives, generation after generation after generation, 
dads and moms had gathered their children around at night and they had told them the story that one day, one day God is going to send a deliverer. He will be our king and, and he, will, he will bring peace to us. He will bring salvation and he will drive away these foreign invaders. And for 500 years they had been waiting on this. And now Jesus is on the back of a donkey. The same Jesus that they've been watching for the last three and a half years perform all these miracles. The same Jesus that had just raised Lazarus from the dead and now, and now is being proclaimed by prophecy. And Jesus makes his journey towards Jerusalem. And the people are excited. And, and as, he, as he slowly makes his way up the Mount of Olives, heading west towards Jerusalem, you can just hear the people whispering to one another, there's Jesus. I saw him once. I saw him do a wonderful miracle. Did you ever listen to his teaching? That's Jesus. And he's on a donkey heading towards Jerusalem. That's the prophecy that we've all been taught since we were kids. Our Messiah is here. Now, between Jerusalem and Bethany, there is this hill. Not really a mountain. It's a hill. It's called the Mount of Olives. But it is, it is tall enough so that from Bethany, you really can't see Jerusalem. It, it's, it's blocked in the line of sight. So, so as they begin their journey, they're making their way up this hill called the Mount of Olives. And everyone's really excited, but they're sort of holding that excitement in. That is, until they reach until they reach the crest of the hill. And as they, as they reach the top of the hill and they look out over uh, the Mount of Olives and down into the Kidron Valley, they see the city of Jerusalem. And they're up higher than the city. And, and I suspect that what they really saw and what really caught their attention was the temple of God. And, and remember that the dome was covered in gold. And it's, and it's maybe mid-morning. Uh, and and, and it, maybe it's a bright, sunny spring day. And, and the sun is, is behind their backs as they're traveling to the west in the late morning. And that sun is reflecting down on this golden dome of the temple. And it is beautiful and magnificent. And, and as the people look at Jerusalem and, and they look at the temple of God and then they look over at, 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 this, at this Messiah who's on a donkey as about to enter the eastern gate of Jerusalem, suddenly they can't control it anymore. And they begin to, to shout and to sing and, 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 and say, say, Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna means save me. Hosanna to the, to the, to the son of David. Hosanna to, to the highest. Lord, save us. Your kingdom is come. It is time. And, 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 and they're shouting and singing as Jesus begins to make his way down the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem. And the commotion is, is so loud from the crowd that is gathered that it catches the attention of the people that are in, in, in the city of Jerusalem. And they begin to come out the eastern gates and along the road and, and, and they're, they're formed all along this road. There's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people and they're, and they're watching Jesus approach the city. And, and you remember the story, they bring palm leaves out and they throw palm leaves on, on, on the ground and, and their cloaks on the ground. And Jesus Jesus is approaching the city of Jerusalem. And the people are praising him. And he's hailed by the crowd. And as they're making that trip, there are some others there. 
they're called Pharisees. And the Pharisees aren't very happy with what's going on. And so they look at Jesus and they said, Jesus, this is wrong. These people are assuming something that's not true. You need to stop this. This is getting out of hand. Lord, you need to stop this. You remember what Jesus said from our passage? I didn't stop this. If, the, if, if these people on this day, at this moment, don't proclaim me to be who I am and don't, don't worship and praise, if they don't do it, if they, if they are silent, God says the rocks will call out. It is ordained by God. And nothing, nothing can, be, can stop. Nothing can stop the, the proclamation that God's Messiah has arrived. There's something else I want you to notice. Jesus, uh, Jesus had been revealed for who he was. And, and he had been praised by the people. What, what, was his, what was his response to what was going on? We know, we know how the, the crowd responded. We know how the Pharisees responded. How did Jesus respond? Well, the Bible tells us that as Jesus approached the city, that he wept. In the midst of this celebration, in the midst of, of, of all of the wonderful things that, that people are saying about him, in the midst of the praise and glory that's being given to him, Jesus is weeping. And, 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 and that, that word that's used, weep, is, is a very intense word. It's the strongest word in the Greek language for weep. It means he was sobbing bitterly. And why was he sobbing? Because Jesus understood something. The people in this crowd that were worshiping him and praising him, they, they, they believed that Jesus was their Savior, and they believed that he was bringing salvation to them. But they were expecting a political Savior. You know, and, and we criticize that. We stand 2,000 years later and, and look back over history, and we criticize that. But we forgot something. You know what it said? You know what it said in verse 10? I read to you Zechariah 9, and that's the only verse that's quoted in the New Testament as being fulfilled. But there is another verse. Listen to what it says in verse 10. I'll read verse 9 again, and then listen to verse 10. Verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And then listen to what it says. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. And he will proclaim peace to the nations. And his rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. What was it that, that, that the people were expecting when the Messiah arrived? that he would drive the Romans away and that he would establish his kingdom there in Jerusalem and he would, establish, and he would provide peace to the people from now then forever. But they misunderstood his mission. His mission was to bring peace. And, and eventually, it is the mission of Jesus to establish uh, Peace throughout this world among the nations. But before there can be peace between the nations, Jesus was commissioned by God to provide peace between man and God. 
And that's, and that's the mission that Jesus rode into Jerusalem with that day. And Jesus understood that these crowds that were shouting hallelujah, hosanna, praise Lord, as these, these, these crowds that were so excited about his arrival on Sunday, on Friday, would shout just as loud and just as enthusiastically, crucify him. We don't want him. And they would reject the salvation that God was offering through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And what was his reaction? The Bible says he wept bitterly. Listen to me for a moment. How long has it been? Does anyone in here know a lost person? Do you have any lost members in your family? Do you have any good friends that don't know Jesus? How long has it been since your heart was broken? over people's souls. When was the last time that you wept bitterly over people? People that you know, people that you love. When was the last time you wept bitterly over their lostness? We talk a lot about wanting to be like Jesus. This church talks a lot about we want to be, we want to, we want to do the things that God has called us to do in this community. We want to be the people of God in this community. We want to be God's light in this community. Let me tell you something. If you don't have weeping in your heart, if you're, if you're not moved with compassion, if you're not brokenhearted over the lost, you cannot be the people of God and represent Jesus in this community. And so his salvation is rejected. My time's just about up. I, I want to talk about one more thing. One day Jesus is coming back. You know, he could have saved us and taken us all to heaven the moment he saved us. But he chose to leave us here. He has a reason for us being here. He has a mission for us. So what is Jesus expecting from us in his absence? I think the key to that, I think the key to that, look back at verse 28. If you still have your Bibles open to Luke 19. Listen to what he said. It said, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Did you ever wonder, well, what was Jesus talking about just before he got to Jerusalem? After he said what? If you were to look back, and, and unless, we wanna, unless we wanna really camp out, uh, I don't have time to, to really uh, expand it to you completely, but if you look back in verse 11, what you find is that Jesus, as he was approaching Jerusalem, began to tell his disciples a parable, a familiar parable, one you've heard before. It was about a nobleman uh, who was about to become king. And he had to go away on a trip. But he promised that he was coming back. He said, and while I'm gone, he, said, he called together his, his servants. He said, while I'm gone, uh, he says, I'm going to give each of you some resources, some money. And while I'm gone, I want you to use that to make my kingdom better, to expand my kingdom. Now, if you've ever been through a, a, a stewardship campaign, 
You've probably heard that. And, and you know that, that everything that we have, we are called to be stewards of everything that God has given us. Our time, our talents, our money, it all belongs to God. And we're supposed to use that for God's purposes and to give back to God what God has blessed us with. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there are two very special, supernatural gifts that God gives to every believer in the sanctuary. And Jesus will hold us accountable for what we do with those gifts. And I'll go over them quickly. The first one our pastor has been talking about all this year. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what difference does the Holy Spirit make in a believer's life? And how does Jesus want us to use the Holy Spirit to further God's kingdom? Let me, let me just say a couple of things. And we could talk for weeks about the Holy Spirit, but, but let me just say a, a word or two. If you've ever heard me before, you know that I, that I explain the Christian walk as being something that is done step at a time, uh, day by day, and, and you can only see as far ahead as, as, one, as one step. And, and, that, and, and that Christian walk involves faith and obedience. I trust God, and I will do what God tells me to do. I trust God, and I will do what God tells me to do. That's how we live the Christian life day by day. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible talks about that we're supposed to walk in the Spirit. And I know Greg's going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But let me just give you a, a 10,000 feet view of what walking in the Spirit uh, means. When we, walk, when we walk in the Spirit, um, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit when, when, you, remember when Jesus, you remember when Jesus was going away uh, on Thursday night, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says, it's, it's, it's good that I go away, because when I go away, God will send another helper, another teacher, another counselor. It, it's the paraclete. He says, he says that God's going to send the paraclete. Now, the paraclete, the paraclete's a Greek word, and it means, it means coming alongside and helping with, with, with the difficult task of life. It means like you're, like you're pushing a car. Your car's out of gas, and you're in the middle of an intersection. You're trying to get the car out of the middle of the intersection, and you're pushing as hard as you can. You can't hardly get the thing to move, and someone comes along beside you, and they help push the car out of the middle of the intersection. That's the idea of the Holy Spirit. It's that you're living life, and you're faced with things you can't hardly you can't hardly do, and you depend upon the strength and the wisdom and the power of God to do those things that God has called us to do. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. And so, and so one of the things that we need to remember is that Jesus expects us as Christians to know who the Holy Spirit is and to rely upon that resource that God has given us to become more like God, to become more like Jesus, and to live every day of our lives in a way that honors Him. And we cannot do that in our own strength, only when we rely on the power of God. Second thing, the second supernatural gift that God gives us is the gospel. God has given the gospel to each one of us. You know what Paul said about the gospel? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. You want to know how to have an impact in this world and how to, to help this world become a better place? It's the gospel. It's not psychology. It's not philosophy. It's the gospel. And, God, and, 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 Jesus, and Jesus says that if, that if you'll do those things and if you'll use those gifts that God has given you, 
that he will use you to make a difference in the world. And that when he comes back, his judgment of your life will be, well done, good and faithful servant. So, this morning, as we prepare for the final week, as we think about all that Jesus did for us on Calvary, and as we get ready to come together next week and to celebrate the resurrection, starting on Friday, talking about the crucifixion, and then celebrating on, on Sunday the, 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 the resurrection of our Lord, I challenge you, I challenge you to remember that Jesus is king. He has the right he has the right, the divine right, to tell us how to live our lives. And he has given us some resources that he expects us to use, and he will hold us accountable for them. Join me in prayer. Father, we... Uh